1: Around 750 million people live on the European continent. So what about it? What will its future look like? Will there ever be a United States of Europe? For this and more, you will hear from European thought leaders, artists, civil society representatives, and all those who care about its future. You will receive key insights into the ways Europe is changing and how your voice can be part of this. I am Paolo de Stilo, and you're listening to Europe Matters. 2021 was pitched as the year COVID would have been repelled and that the situation would have been brought back to normal. But that was a lie. So lay back and listen to this winter or summer special, wherever you are, or with climate change, in which Roberto Moreshaw and I will be roasting all the BS of this past year. Hi, Gilberto. Welcome. Where are you right now?
2: Hello, hello, Paula. I'm glad to be here, and I am in Curacao, where it's sunny and warm. It's actually pretty hot in this room right now because yeah, all the windows are closed, and you know the fan is not on because sound quality is important. So, yeah, I'm glad to see you.
1: I'm I'm glad to see you as well. So, as I mentioned, now it's a it's a winter summer special, but it's also a special moment to look back at this very strange year, which has been strange again. Why do you think it was strange?
2: You know, there was this promise, right? There was this promise that all the governments and everybody in power was like, no, it's just a little bit longer. We just all need to get vaccinated and magically COVID will disappear and everything will go back together. And then we have like the, 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 the roaring twenties all over again. And that, You know that the economy will be boosted and there will be more equity and there will be more equality and that climate change will have been less impactful because of what we've been doing right now. And then now that we've arrived in 2021 and we're seeing that a lot of these expectations that they held for themselves have not come out. And we've all been left wanting for more. We've all been left hoping for the next year, that maybe, just maybe, 2022 will be better and that everything will be magically fixed. Um, And I mean, it's been strange because often it is its repetitiveness, right? We're repeating the same cycles. We're repeating, we're doing the same things all over again. And we're suddenly expecting that it's going to be different. And yeah, it's it's absurd. Yeah, It is it's so it's so silly you it, it's so it it's
1: yeah so for the ones that have, we don't even know where to start no because so for the ones that have listened to our first episode as well we unraveled a little bit about how strange europe is and the fact that uh also curacao which is very far away in the caribbean is also part of europe so the way europe has reacted to to, to the pandemic is not only to the continent itself but it it expands abroad overseas and, well, we started naming, thankfully, the variants of COVID in with uh, Greek names, which is very good because then you don't discriminate towards the countries where the variants started off, right? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. However, there are so many variants and mostly, or at least the ones that are coming from outside Europe, that, that's the story that's being told, kids. Mm. They. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, they, they create a sense of inequity within the world because one of the main things that is happening right now in Europe is that we are going for the third vex- vaccine. So there's the, the booster vaccine and uh, people are going as crazy to get their third vaccine, whereas lots of other parts in the world haven't gotten their vaccine yet. So we we should be really thinking about what the hell are we doing? Like, and now everybody's complaining about being locked up again. Right. So yeah, they, they are being locked up. There's like uh, the Netherlands closed everything uh, from shops, except, except uh, non-essential uh, essential shops. Uh, you have had Austria, which uh, put into lockdown people that were not vaccinated. Uh, No, everybody thinks, oh, Europe, Europe. No, it's such a saint and a holy place where rights are respected. Well, it depends from what we talk to. So, um, yeah, again, why?
2: I mean, there's just so much to break down, right? When we look at the current state of the world and the vaccine inequity that exists, where um, Europe and uh, um the traditional quote unquote the west countries um they have hoarded vaccines and they have literally made it almost extremely impossible for poorer countries to even get their fair share um Europe is already going for boosters the u s is already going for boosters, but uh most of the countries in the global south don't have any most people didn't even get their first ones they're Maybe 10% is, is, is vaccinated. And that's just shameful. And it's not just shameful, but it's so dumb because we live in a globalized, interdependent world. So acting as though being you can ever be completely isolated from someone else is silly. It is absurd. And we're valuing this idea of intellectual property on vaccinations above and copyrights above and beyond, you know, the actual right of people to not die, the right for people to be healthy. And and we have our we have our priorities so in skew. Europe literally blocked the WTO proposal that South Africa and China and some other countries of the global South made to open up the vaccines. And even the US supported it, but countries like the Netherlands and Germany and France were very resistant to this idea because they value this idea of intellectual property um, above and beyond health.
1: When did they take that decision?
2: I mean, it it, it happened this past year, right? I think this happened... um, I think it happened end of July, if I'm not mistaken. Double-check. Check but verify, as Mikhail Gorbachev would say. Trust but verify. But it's so important that we really look into why they are doing this. And it's because of this for-profit motive. It's because of this fear of this president that all vaccinations and all, all health things will be uh, able to be challenged and used in emergency cases. And honestly speaking, I say, so what? So what if that is the reality that we're going to get, that everybody has access to medicine? Wow, such a dystopian future. And... It's interesting how we never consider what we're doing right now to be dystopic, but we only consider what happens in the past, you know, or what what the alternative is to be horrifying. Well, I mean, we're really living in the worst case scenario right now. At least um, we have a, a novel virus that is continuously mutating. Um, it is leading to a vaccine escape where, where people cannot even... You know, even people that are vaccinated are getting sick right now. Obviously, not the same measure as people that are unvaccinated. But with every new iteration of a virus, um, there is a bigger chance that it is a bigger health risk and that it might mutate in such a way that the vaccinations that we've already had are not going to help us and won't protect us anymore. And we're seeing that happen in Europe, which is the reason why we need boosters, However, the reason why these vaccinations aren't work, why we need boosters is because of this widespread amount of viruses that are going around and everybody's getting sick all over. Um, one of the reasons is because, first of all, Europeans have traveled everywhere and spread out the disease like harbingers of death. Yes. Like it's, I mean, Americans don't travel that much compared to Europeans. Europeans are traveling every day, all the time. So when we look at the travel patterns in the world most flights and most people that travel come from europe which means that they bring the virus with them to other places and that infects the the local population because i mean the 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 virus obviously or at least obviously um allegedly started in china it came to italy was one of the first big countries that was
1: you think it's a lab, lab virus
2: it's it's not even it's not even that clear anymore. Yeah. Um it used to be um considered a conspiracy but um there's a whole lot of um back and forth happening right now about Chinese scientists having warned about this before and some research being done that maybe it did come out of a lab. Um, Which is still beside a point because I think even if it did come out of the lab, it's still destroying people because of um, the global inequality and the global inequity that we know. And also because of the travel patterns that we normally have and our unwillingness to do what needed to be done at the time that it needed to be done to protect ourselves. Because in Europe, we have this very, I feel it's this, our idea of freedom is very much based only on personal liberty for doing individual things and that freedom isn't at all connected to this idea of societal freedom where there is social stability where there is economic um freedom where there is um you know access to health and access to justice so that means that um that people you know won't die on the street and it, I will say to be fair to be fair Europe has that more than the US we do have like this idea of prioritizing welfare, prioritizing a, a social net. But especially in countries like the Netherlands, it's becoming more and more neoliberal by the year. Uh, we're seeing that people, that the, the government has cut on healthcare um, for the last 10 to 15 years. And we're reaping, we're literally reaping the fruits of what we've sown all in order to further profit. But what is profit if it does not benefit people? What does that mean to have more money if you don't actually have, I don't know, basic things like housing or.
1: So, Gilberto, are you actually pointing out to the fact that the way we have tackled on a strategic level, on an international level of uh, coordination as well, uh, preventing or at least containing uh, the virus? has been very much influenced by the way uh, we operate. So you're also criticizing the capitalistic system behind the creation of the vaccines and the the way that they are protected with IP property.
2: I mean, it's crazy. Like the funding that they received was from the government and from public actors, and then they get to make profit from it. And then they get to sell it back to the governments that gave them the funding to develop it. And then they get to hoard it all, and then we got to we the governments stand up and protect these intellectual property rights as though they are holy, even though everything that they received to be able to create it was from the people themselves. It's bizarre.
1: So does that does that also explain why there were such a big, strong Novax movement? in many countries in italy it was very big it's still very big and then now it's getting less yeah. uh, the netherlands but also in other countries there's this very uh against vaccine feeling which is quite strange if you think about some countries where there's like there's no vaccines available and once they arrive the first batch, everybody's going to the boot and yeah. getting vaccinated yeah. because there's a really this this feeling we need to get vaccinated otherwise we're we end up in the hospital. Yeah. And the way the media has framed the the Novax movement has been very um, how can i say it it's like scapegoating in a certain way mm. to towards a, a more broader problem in the sense like instead of looking at why the Novax movement started or at least not not the novax before I, uh, we know that it started with the whole autism problem, but in the the reason why it grew so much is also because of this uh, lack of transparency in the way they these deals have been done yeah. in on with some pharmaceutical industries, and that we are still buying up all these vaccines and still not giving away not so much as we w- have hoped for.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you're spot on in a lot of things. Um, there is a distrust in government. There is a distrust in the powers that be, um, in the elite, the elites or, or, or the, the corporate overlords or depending on which country you're in, they'll always have another name. But there is a global distrust in in the current institutions, in the established order. Uh, it lacks legitimacy and this legitimacy comes from the fact. And I say it's inequality. Um, inequality and, and the level of, you know, distraughtness that a lot of the global population are facing right now is the fuel for a lot of these conspiratorial ways of thinking. Also, at the same time, the pharma industry has been shady in the past. So there is a legitimate reason for people to distrust big pharma, or as they like to call it. There is a reason, especially for people in the global South to distrust vaccinations, to distrust the way that the Western institutions have been, have been dealing with this crisis. Um, it is legitimate. I don't think it's necessarily fair in this case, but it is not something that is just an imagination. And that when countries only talk about vaccinations as being this end all salvation for, for our problems When we look at, at at what's been happening with with the anti fax movement, there's there's a lot of things that we need to still consider and hold into heart, because obviously there is a lack of legitimacy for global institutions and governments and companies. Um, we're looking at coastal elites or the corporate overlords or are all of these big pharma all these these big words that they use to describe. People in power that have access to economic, to economic freedom and have access to, um, you know, you know, this 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 control and you know things are in order. And there's a large group of people that don't. Um, economic inequality is the fuel that can be used to to fuel distrust in the society and into institutions. And honestly, that distrust is also legitimate because it's not like these institutions have been providing um, the the. The basics for a lot of people globally speaking, um, neither in the global north or in the global south. A lot of people have been alienated from the system. Often people in rural areas, often people that are sometimes often minorities, but also, um, people that feel that the systems cannot serve them anymore because of things like their, their identity not being recognized anymore, legitimately or illegitimately. And that leads to susceptibility for conspiratorial thinking. And to be fair, conspiratorial thinking isn't necessarily always wrong. I mean, Big Pharma, um, as they like to call it, has not always been a positive, um, a positive place. I mean, it's still not that positive because it's mainly profit-driven. But it also has not been that way for africa especially in the global south if you go google online there's many many examples of pharmaceutical companies abusing their power on tainting vaccinations in in the global south but also even in the u.s in minority and minority communities so the distrust is real this distrust is based on something that is actually real do I think it's that relevant right now? I don't. And the reason why I don't think it's that relevant is also because of vaccine inequality. What we're seeing globally, right, is that the richest people and the countries that are the most rich are getting um, the vaccines first, which, sadly enough, proves to me that the vaccines are safe because in the way that we work in the global order that we're in, um, you know, rich people get the best and poor people get the worst. So... That's kind of a sad proof of why vaccination is safe.
1: And it also shows how uh strange the Novax movement is in itself, right? Because it's like it's the richest people that are getting the the vaccines and they're like, we don't want to put it on. There's been so many stories of people trying sca- uh, the the best one so far, which I'm gonna explain to our listeners, has been in Greece. Some people went to their doctors. Uh, And bribed them to get a fake vaccination. And what happened, they would pay 400 euros or something like that to uh, be able to get a fake vaccine. And then the doctor would receive those 400 euros and still give them the real vaccine. And at the moment that they uh, realized a couple of days later, because they had some symptoms of the normal uh, receiving the vaccine, you get some, you can be a little bit more tired and stuff like that. And receiving those symptoms, they were like, he, 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 (laughs) he fucked me over. (laughs) So, or, or she doesn't, we, we don't know. So, and, and, and that's really, it's actually a double bind problem because then the, the doctor has also to, um, to uh, say that he's got he he got bribed and the other one cannot contest him because he tried to get a fake vaccine so what you said before also the the fear fear uh, permeated the last year also the last two years especially uh, two years in 2020 and with that fear, however, there uh, arose also new ways of looking at how we live, right? So you also talked about, uh, or you mentioned before we started this conversation about the great rebound, How how is it called? Because I I, I, I haven't followed that so much.
2: Oh, the, the great resignation.
1: Uh, <laughs> what we're seeing,
2: right, is that so many people are quitting their jobs justifyingly because their jobs just ain't it. It's really just, it's underpaid, overworked, underappreciated. And the pandemic has given the people the opportunity to also recognize that their jobs have no loyalty towards them. And that in response to that lack of loyalty, in response to that lack of trust in corporations, and in these big companies that do not serve them, or even these little companies, for example, when you look at the service sector, particularly restaurants and cafes um, and hotels, a lot of people were fired in the Netherlands. They were fired. Um, they were put on leave, unpaid leave, even as the companies were paid to maintain their workers. And, and and this is where it comes that these companies received money from governance in order to maintain their workforce during the pandemic, during lockdowns. And, at the same time they use that opportunity not to support the people that have been working for them for ages, no, but to pile their pockets and to and to, to make themselves wealthier. Yeah. Why would I return to that environment?
1: Exactly. So that's why you should become a podcaster, that's what you're saying, or
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey i i just thought it's it's interesting because these companies are extremely short-sighted right they're like oh and, and and it it speaks about the systemic um dystopia that we live in because when you can only think about profit in the upcoming quarter for the upcoming semester then you will forget that your company was built by the people that work for you. They are the ones on the front lines every day. They're the ones who build your brand. They're the ones who build brand loyalty. They're the ones who execute everything. Your company does not exist without people. And the the illusion, right, especially in countries like the U.S., has always been, oh, my gosh, I need my company to survive. But COVID has given them people an opportunity to reassess um, because of, of one. I mean, being at home a lot, I'm um, not having work and having to hustle and struggle to stay alive. You're like, I really don't need these people. I've been hustling and working hard for them all along and barely getting anything. And now I'm barely getting anything on my own, but at least I'm free to do things. At least I can go on a vacation or at least stay home if I want to. At least I do not have to wake up every morning at five or six to grab a bus to, to, go, to go to work and, and then arrive at home at like 7 p.m. and then do that again for five to six days. Um, what we're seeing in the U.S. with Kellogg's, right? Um, Kellogg's workers were highly overworked during the pandemic and they're done with it. So COVID has been this resurgence, seen a resurgence of the labor movement, a resurgence of activism, just because um, it makes clear all of the hidden realities that... Um, the constant hustle of everyday life were holding back. We've seen the emperor, and the emperor has no clothes.
1: That's Gilberto Marichal for you guys, and that's it. No, I'm joking. So that that goes actually very very uh, close in line with what you were saying before, right? Of the. Um, The anti-vaxxers against this, uh, the power, right, of the the elite, the elite of having more freedom in certain aspects. And now suddenly this whole other uh, group of people, which were very limited in their freedoms because they were so busy working, going, traveling, uh, there was not so much uh, space to think or to be able to enjoy life we could say so this whole great recognition is a side effect uh, which might be a positive side effect we could say it depends from who you're talking to because for some people it's it's really um, horrible because it's uh, there's a lot of people needed in those jobs but as you mentioned before those were the same places that uh, laid off the people to start with so it's, it, it, it's a very uh, troublesome period. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty. There's a lot of people lost uh, family members. They lost uh, also jobs, which also means uh, economical stability. And, and now there's this uncertainty again, which is a very different uncertainty from one created by the financial crisis. In this case, Everybody had food on their plates, or at least they received all those subsidies, or um, everybody got their, uh, some, not everybody got their. Uh, sustained by the states. But now in the second year of COVID, this is becoming less and less. People are, star- are starting to tighten the belt and actually looking uh, forward. On that note, because of course we pic- uh, made a picture of which can be both grim, but also hopeful. You have been this year to a very important conference, uh, which was in Glasgow in November, and which was about, it was COP26, which looked at the uh, climate change. This uncertainty is not only about the health situation of ourselves, but the health of our earth. So um, what did you get from this big meeting that was very hopeful about uh, many negotiations, many changes? And what do you think we can take away from that and actually build up a more sustainable or at least new terms for saying ecological world? (laughs)
2: well i think there are two answers that i can give first the cynical one and then the (laughs) optimist and hopeful one and they're both part of the same answer they're all part of the whole okay um let's start with the cynical one and then we'll finish with the with the upy one two words shit show i mean the thing is right it's often a performance it's often there's so much performativity at these conferences Everybody's signing beautiful things, and everybody's talking about these NDCS, these Nationally Developed Contributions that people have to, um, that every country has to fill in and hand in. And countries updated them to to be more urgent. However, the problem is that countries have not even kept the NDCS that they had signed back in the Paris Agreement in twenty fifteen. So, so
1: NDCS are non disclosure.
2: No, no, no. It's the nationally developed contributions that um, every country in the Paris Climate Agreement, every country was um, obligated or semi-obligated, voluntarily obligated to hand in a plan about how they would contribute in maintaining the climate goals, maintaining um, temperature, global temperature change under 1.5 degrees, if I think it was under 2 degrees back then, and that... um, they had to do this um up towards 30, 2020, 30. so they had to um remove a lot of their climate um their climate emissions they had to reduce um the amount of reliance on um things on, on fossil fuels et cetera et cetera but obviously fully voluntary and every country made amazing contributions like oh yeah, we're going to do this, and they committed themselves to doing a lot of these things but Many, if not most countries, I think 99% of all countries, I think only one country actually kept their NDC. So even when they are voluntarily, um, you know, it's something you just have to give something. Okay, this is what we're going to do. Nobody could keep up with what they promised. And now everybody's so happy about them making extra commitments, but in a realist sense, yo, if you couldn't keep the bare minimum commitments you made in the past, what makes you think you will keep the bare minimum requirements you do now? And then we're talking about all this magic. Oh, it's so amazing that they're coming together. It's so amazing that all these people are doing stuff. And I'm like, a lot of people, especially young climate activists, are very negative about it because they're like, um, there is no urgency, even though, even when there is. And it is like this golden cage where people know that there is urgency. They know things need to get done. They know it, but they feel as though it's impossible. It's not in their grasp because the system or the institutions that they work for and the way the conference, the COP, is actually designed is it leads it's, it's it's inherently predisposed towards failure and the reason why i think it's predisposed towards failure is because of the way the negotiation structure is done everybody is negotiating against each other so so when you enter into one of those negotiation rooms you find like this big room with like like a, like a square basically a square round table setting and yeah i know it's an oxymoron cuz square round tables don't exist but you get the gist of it
1: <laughs> yeah we do we do
2: so just tables with all of these people negotiating together and it's everybody is negotiating on based on a piece of text and people will argue and argue about like meaningless words to be honest um, and how strong the text should be or how strong the text shouldn't be and certain countries have an interest for certain wordings and another country has an interest for another type of wording and then it becomes a conflict between two groups often the global north versus the global south. Um, main players in it are like South Africa, um, European Union, Switzerland, um, the US. So often those groups they represent they, they tend to argue a lot about the wording. However, the problem right in my in my aspect in my optic is that you're not actually negotiating for something, you're negotiating to win and dominate over somebody else.
1: So it's it's still a, a power game. It's still, it's just a power game.
2: Oh, definitely, definitely. And and at the same time, right, I won't say these countries, individuals that come to negotiate it are well-intentioned. They are well-intentioned people. They do know the urgency. They do know the risk. They understand it. But because of the structure, because of the system, that the way that they set it up, it leads to this inflaming of this nationalist sense of having to overcome the other countries and to show power within this room. So that is also the reason why a lot of these things often fail because because the negotiation structure um, pushes did, it did to the failure. Did you feel that power um, because we think that that's the way we need to, do, to to organize?
1: Did you feel that power in the in the rooms?
2: I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it was just this this constant push for 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 authority and people using negotiation tricks at the last on the last day because I was I was in one of those informal rooms on the last day. And honestly, it was just they were almost in agreement. Um, It was like an hour before the final plenary. Everything was almost in agreement. And then one actor suddenly broke everything open again at the last minute, which led to the conference having to be postponed and had to be become longer, it it finished the day afterwards. Um, and this happened not in one, just in one room, but in mo-
1: which party? Which actor was that?
2: Um, let's let's just say we all know them. Like, um, it's a powerful actor. Um, and it was in Europe. Next. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. So you can name it, right? Or is that top secret?
2: Well, it's not top secret. It's just that it doesn't it doesn't frame well with their own rhetoric, right? Of oh, we're doing a lot, and I think the US um, played a big role in the whole climate finance negotiations. So I think they they really fumbled the about ball, the ball there. I think uh, with climate finance, they could have done better, um, and they opened up the agreement at the end, which was very much not useful at all, and it led to this power play. Um, which is very sad. At the same time, and I think now this leads to the positive part of the story. Positive. Ah, oh. There are a lot of good things happening on the ground. The urgency has finally reached the COP. The urgency has finally reached Glasgow. People recognize. Everybody knows, you know, everybody knows. Um. Although, let's finish with the negative part first, because like, I, I need to mention this.
1: There's still some bad news.
2: Um, every country had a delegation, but that the biggest delegation that was there was oil companies. Mm. honestly, that's just shameful, it's just embarrassing because it 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 shows that we continue to invite the people within within this conference that are one of the biggest causes for the crises that we see right now. And we give them authority and we give them advisory power and we invite them to the plenary and we invite them in the negotiation room. So, yeah, what can I say? This is what you get.
1: Gilberto, I'm going to go a little bit, I'm going to play the uh, devil's advocate, but at the same time, they are trying to reinvest. They have the potential to reinvest into more greener solutions. Uh, They also have the expertise, for example, to create those platforms or those big uh, wind turbines that we are creating uh, offshore everywhere in the world so we still need those oil company uh, to, to participate I understand that it's very annoying that they are uh, majorly major players within the cup itself in this conference which is about trying to get uh, to some agreements about how be- to become green green that's also a bad word because you can greenwash stuff
2: I mean, the thing is, right, you can be involved and still not have a major seat in the situation of power. And and I think I think it's just it's bad optics, number one. But also, number two, I'm sorry, but why did they get to lead the conversation on, on on climate change policy? Like, why do the same people that have caused it have to have the biggest voice for the solution? It's. It's it's just, it doesn't fit with, it doesn't fit right, especially not because a lot of countries in the global South are still suffering from the impact of their work, are still suffering from the production procedures that they're doing. And I'm not saying that the people there don't have good intentions. Obviously they do, kind of. Um, they, 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 they realize the harm that they've done, but the fear that they bring with it, to the table the fear of oh my gosh i'm gonna lose the profit oh my gosh i'm gonna lose that is not a handy fear to be negotiating bold solutions for the future i'm sorry i'm I, I, i'm it's like okay I, I get it
1: no because they also ask for recompensation
2: yeah 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 even though they knew they knew the impact of what they did in the 60s they already knew so long ago
1: they were the first ones
2: yeah they, they refused to share that they refuse to tell the truth. And, and because of their refusal to tell the truth, because of their consistent investing in lobbyists that then manipulated and hid and advocated for, for things that hid the truth, um, we're stuck here. We're stuck with this solution. We're stuck with this bad hand of cards. That now we have to make extremely drastic choices to transform the way that we're doing, the way the world is going. You know, and, and, and when we don't recognize that, when we don't tell the truth, we basically condemn ourselves into living a future in and in, in, in a timeline where our pain has increased exponentially. That's what we're seeing right now. So no, like, they, sh- you know, they shouldn't be at the table. They shouldn't have that much power and that much say in which decision making is going to happen. And the people that should have more power are often the people that are not that heard. I will say one very, very positive thing is that the indigenous peoples groups were one of the, one also one of the biggest I think the second or the third biggest delegation. Oh, wow. We're seeing that activists and people that are representing this change are becoming much more and much more represented, much more and much more powerful um, in, 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 in this setting. So, there are, there's a dual dual story that needs to be told, right? There's a story of, oh my gosh, yeah, it's all bad, etc., and they're not doing enough. But there's also a story of um, the voices that need to be there are slowly but surely gathering strength. Um, that being said, um, the last COP, the COP we just had, wasn't that inclusive because a lot of people from the global south were not available because of COVID.
1: And could they join online? Yes, but... Could they join online?
2: Yes, but you know it's not
1: the same right because is really isn't the same things happen right in the hallways
2: informal negotiations happen in the hallways
1: that's where the real change happens
2: they happen in the hallways yeah and it's with the conversations um and it wasn't a very it was a very inspiring place though because there were so many people on the ground doing that work so many new technologies so much um People speaking truth to power, politicians, people that are involved and engaged with society and then know that change has to come so so that is also the optimistic side of it um it's not hopeless, it is not hopeless.
1: was your voice heard was your voice heard during the conference
2: um me I mean I guess yes i had a I had a conversation with the the Dutch climate envoy about um the Dutch Caribbean. Um, and I spoke to a lot of people doing the work that I'm doing because I'm also head of impact for Colectivo. So we're creating this regenerative economy. So I spoke with a lot of people doing um, research and launching organizations that want to regenerate new economies using cryptocurrency, using artificial intelligence. So there are a lot of these people doing this work, and we spoke and we connected, um, and that will lead to cooperation in now but also in the future so yes my voice was heard but often being one person there it's difficult to talk about everything there is a need for more people there is a need for more workers you know more people that can go there and speak the truth and bring all these issues to the table because i am one person and a lot of these people they're they're overworked and underpaid like you cannot create a system where the onus is on the minorities and the, and the, and the activists and all these people to continuously save the world. You know, that's not our responsibility. Like, we can all save each other. We should all save each other. It shouldn't be left on a minority of people, a small group of people, to continuously push for better change, to continuously push for more radical solutions and bold solutions, because we're people... People get tired. People want to have hobbies and a life, and they get to. But if we're if and and we look at Fridays for Future having to lead a protest, I also organized, helped organize a climate march in the Netherlands before I came to the COP. You know, so 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 we're putting in all of the we're pulling in, putting in all of the work and and putting out all of the stops to make change happen. But the people that need to do it need to also do it. And not just sit in this golden cage of, oh my gosh, what will happen? Because if we do nothing, what will happen is worse than the status quo. And there's a message of hope there. I think there's a message of hope there because we need to win. We got to win. Like, there's no alternative.
1: For maybe Americans, if they're listening, is that... Is that too of a socialist uh idea?
2: I mean, what is socialism right the socialism I mean I think I think this dichotomy that we create right where oh it's capitalism versus communism versus socialism um it's Um I mean, I don't think it's really useful. It's not very useful for the upcoming century because we're seeing the the impact of capitalism, and it ain't it. And 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 it doesn't mean that we have to, you know, I like to talk about values. I like to talk about ideals instead of just ideology because I feel that we're so connected to these systems, right? Where we're oh my gosh, this system or that system is better than this system. But what does that mean for people on the ground? What does that mean for people's lives? Um and 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 when we look at a system where hyper individualism is glorified as though as something good, and we see the fruits of, of that poison tree. And then we say, no, no, no. But it's just, we just have to change it a bit more. The ideology is toxic. Stop it. it it's not working. Do something different.
1: So this is our hopeful message for 2022. Stop ideologies and start doing, right?
2: Yeah. And I mean, I, mean, I think it's, it's about like, which type of world do you want to create? Do you want a world with justice? Do you want a world with love? Do you want a world with kindness? Do you want a world where where people are self-reflective, where there is community, where there is interdependence? Those are the things we need to pursue also within our systems that recognizes our full humanity because one, we're individuals, number one, but we're individuals that live in interdependence with each other in a community. So we're both at the same time and that we stop creating this false, this is this false conflict. uh, Oh, either you, care about yourself or you care about others no there is no such thing as egotism versus altruism you are a human being you need to be taken care of and we see that through covid we see that isolation is not healthy not healthy it's not healthy it's not helping it's not any of those things so Why do we continue to structure economic systems in a way that destroys the world around us in the illusion that that destruction will not ultimately impact us? Because that was a lie. Another lie. It was a lie that if we as an individual country, yeah, if we as an individual country would vaccinate, that we would be safe and that other countries would still be locked down. You cannot hyper-isolate forever. You are connected with others. And when you are hurting, I am hurting. When they are hurting, we are hurting. And when you have peace, you know, when you have peace, I can also have peace. And it's this, it's this realization, this dream, this vision that is, that, is our, that is my message for the future. That is my hope for the future that we bring this with us everywhere that we go, that we, we let go of these paradigms that do not serve human beings, that do not reflect human nature, and we stop telling lies and start telling the truth But who we can become. Because it is a story of becoming. Who do we want to become? Who do we not want to become? Do we want to put to death those things that do not serve us? Or do we want to come to life? Do we want to come to life to the things that will heal our country and our nation? And COVID is just the beginning. Right? If we can change the way we deal with this crisis, we might also be able to change the way that we deal with climate change and change the way that we deal with poverty because COVID is a symptom that reflects what was already hurting millions of people all around the world. Millions of people were having hunger issues. Millions of people couldn't eat. Millions of people were dying of sickness. Now that it has infected the West, we're so, oh my gosh, it's so bad. It's the worst time ever. You know? For a lot of people, it wasn't that big of a deal because they were already struggling. So, and now we're finally being questioned from our privileged privileged spaces and we're realizing, oh, maybe that's not a good thing. And yes, that's what we got to do. We got to keep this spirit of questioning, keep this spirit of self-reflection within us and turn it into action that will change ourselves, our communities and the world.
1: And with that, we wish you, A happy new year. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Europe Matters. Special thanks goes to my assistant producer, Antonio Mattesini. Let us know who we should interview next by writing a comment... ...and sharing it with your friends on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn using the handle at europe matters don't forget to leave a review on whichever podcast streaming platform you use and if you really like this show the best way to support us is by making a donation on patreon.com you can learn more at www.europematters.com speak to you soon